want to remind you before we get started the TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner of Purple Insider and the Blue Wire Network. TickPick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging service fees ever. of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and returning to the show from Sports Illustrated, Will Raggetts. How are you, Will? I'm not too bad. Another uh, Monday, we watched a pretty painful game of football yesterday, but ready to uh, talk about it and break it down a little bit. We did indeed, and you know, you and I were just talking before we went on about how, how many times we've sort of had deja vu over this same football game, and it's remarkable that yesterday's game against Cleveland, you and I just went back and forth, like rap battle style, coming up with all the times that we've seen that before, and I mean, you brought up 2018 against Chicago, where it just seemed like a total failure to launch for the offense, and I, th- when it feels like your team has such a clear kryptonite like it does, uh, in, in a way, people like ourselves who are always looking for solutions, we're not just reporting on here's what they said. Like It's part of our job to say, well, what might be better or what might be different? And after this one, I am just sort of like out of breath. Like I don't really know and I want to go through some of the things about the roster and how different people have performed and some of the storylines we talked about leading in now that we're at the very unofficial quarter point of the season uh not mathematically necessarily uh but uh it it is remarkable the number of games that we finished up and said well you know that wasn't really Kirk Cousins fault it was more of like the left tackle got killed and you know they couldn't run the ball and then it wasn't really anything on defense, but the other team kind of had some success and they come out short. And I don't know about you, but I'm like struggling now looking through the roster, looking through how they play on offense, all these things to say, ah, I've got it. Here's all they need to do or here's all that needs to go right. I'm, I'm just a little bit like I'm, I'm out of answers here. Yeah, I kind of am too. And well, we throw out last year because the the defense was a disaster and it was a weird season. But you go back to 2019, and the Vikings were a good team in 2019. They made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. They had a lot of talent on offense. Stephon Diggs was still there. Uh, it was kind of the last like addition of the peak Zimmer defenses from 2015 to 19. It wasn't quite as good as like 16 or 17, but it was a good defense. Uh, you had all the all the big names were there. Um, but that team had a very kind of clearly defined ceiling that we saw throughout the year. The first example of it was the late September, I think week four against uh, the Bears at, at Soldier Field where they lost 16-6. to Kirk Cousins was sacked, I think, six times. Um, afterwards, Adam Thielen was, was frustrated in the locker room, and that kind of sparked a, an interesting season of uh, discourse around, around the offense. But we saw it then later again in the season, uh, the Packers game week 16, it happened a couple times uh, in not quite as extreme um, measures leading up to that. But Week 16 against the Packers, they need that game to stay alive in the division race. And it was kind of the same thing. They scored 10 points. Obviously, they didn't have Dalvin Cook in that game. It was They're down to Mike Boone. But the, the, they were just dominated in the trenches. And that's just such a fundamental thing in football when you can't 
kind of get some push from your offensive line, especially if you're the Vikings, you're a team that needs to run the ball, that, that wants to run the ball, but but has to run the ball in order to set up everything else. When that's not happening, then it just limits everything else. And then when Cousins is dropping back and he's constantly got pressure in his face, the, the passing game can't get going at all. Uh, and then it happened again uh, in a big way in that divisional round playoff loss to the 49ers where it just this, – this kind of sense of, of futility, this bleak feeling sets in like this team can't beat these really good teams with good defensive lines, good front sevens like the, the Bears a couple years ago, the Niners, the, the, the Browns uh, on Sunday. Like, and they've invested a lot of draft capital into the offensive line over the past few years, clearly, because they recognize that as a problem. They, they're not, they see it just like us. And so they've used all these high draft picks, and it still just isn't there yet. And you can, I'm sure we'll talk about how, like, if Christian Derrissaw or, or Wyatt Davis or whatever could, could help things. But, I, I mean, I don't think that's going to make such a big difference that this problem is going to go away. And it just seems like that cap on what they can do against really good defenses – Say you run into the the Buccaneers in the playoffs or, or a team like that, you're going to have to beat a team with a really good defensive line. And it just seems like they cannot give Cousins enough time. And Cousins isn't without without his his share of blame. But when you get dominated in the trenches like that, there's just nothing you can really do. And 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 like you said, I don't know what the fix is. And so I'm, I've pulled up the offensive line that we talked a lot in training camp about and the questions and how really there were big question marks at almost every position except for right tackle where Brian O'Neill, uh, you know, he allowed a couple of pressures yesterday. I mean, so um, that's going to happen when you play great players. But his first four pressures of the season were all allowed yesterday. But again, he's only got four pressures in four games. So he's been good. And that's Brian O'Neill. And he's going to continue to be good. Aside from that, I'm going to go through the list and how it's going. Uh, at left guard, Ezra Cleveland has a 57 grade. Uh, at center. Is that overall or pass blocking? Overall, I'm okay. sorry. But, I mean, pass blocking, yeah, it's about the same. Okay. I'm just going to go overall what their grades are. Uh, but maybe I should go pass blocking. So Ezra Cleveland has not been successful pass blocking. So he's at a 55. Uh, then you go to Garrett Bradbury, 43. That's not a change at all from what we've seen from him. That might and, be a little better than the last two years, but it's still bad. It's right at the bottom of the league, though, as as he has been in pass blocking for the last few years. That's a first-round draft pick. Uh, at right guard, Oli Udo has been a good run blocker per PFF, but not a good pass blocker. He's at 56. 60 is about average, and you really want to be in more of the 65-70 range to be like decent and effective. That has just not been the case. For a guard, Oli Udo, to have given up 12 pressures already is a ton. Um, just to put that in context, like Alex Boone, I think, was a failure here and gave up like 20 in a season. Yeah. And so already Oli Udo's at 12. Well, Udo had four through the first three games and then eight yesterday. Eight yesterday. That, you, that was kind of a welcome to the NFL game. And that's how it goes, right? Yeah. Like every team, like Detroit is not going to put 20 pressures on the Vikings, but it's the good teams completely dominating, as you said. And then we get to left tackle Rashad Hill who has a heart of gold and everyone likes him, but he is a swing tackle. He is the Dakota Dozier of this year. He is a backup player for his career and a good backup, but he has 18 pressures allowed and four penalties this year and a 36 pass blocking grade. So far, if you're going across the line for people not naming Brian O'Neill, the question marks that Mike Zimmer mentioned before even week one, it's like C minus 
D minus F. Like you are not getting anything above maybe a C for any of these guys and their performances so far after what we saw yesterday. After the Seattle game, it looked okay. But again, it was sort of the same story of, yeah, I mean, Seattle, like they're not good as far as a defensive line, and you were and you were okay. But the minute you face some beasts, this is where your grades end up. And now the bigger sample says, once again, you're really not even an average offensive line. Yeah, and they had the two games against the NFC West teams, the Cardinals, who everyone was worried about Chandler Jones. But outside of him, uh, who I think they managed to do a good job scheming against, the Cardinals don't have a ton of talent on the defensive line. J.J. Watt seems to be a little washed this year. Uh, the Seahawks have a couple guys. But the Bengals and the Browns are the two best defensive lines they've faced this year, and it's been kind of a disaster in those two games. The first one was weird with penalties, but this game yesterday was just – it, it was what happens when they face a, a really good defensive line. And, yeah, I, I mean, Brian O'Neill gave up some pressure. Just the entire line. And, and they would even keep, like, six, seven, eight guys max protection, and they would still get through. I mean, Miles Garrett is just unbelievable. I, I thought it was just kind of cool to witness him um, I agree. do some of that stuff that in, was in like, person yesterday. Like He had nine pressures. Yeah. That's like Lawrence Taylor. I mean, well, and just some of the like clips that. where he, like, just takes Rashad Hill and makes him look like he's – Weighs 180 pounds and throws him over and, and breaks through it like a double and triple team. Like, that guy's unreal. But anyway, I mean, there are players like that in the NFL, and you have to be able to kind of at least hold your own and not give up nine pressures and not let him get to Kirk Cousins all day. Uh, there were some times, which, which Zimmer mentioned after the game, where they ended up with tight ends blocking. Like, Tyler Conklin was trying to block Miles Garrett once and, and got a holding penalty, which, as Justin Jefferson said, was understandable. Um, so it was just there's some weird things going on with the protection schemes, but in general, it was just kind of a, a breakdown in in their performance of the offensive line. Uh, and so as we dedicate time to the trenches, the other side, uh, Mike Zimmer can say he was fine with the run defense. It was not fine. Uh, the Browns commanded the football game through the run and had Baker Mayfield been accurate. We're talking about you know a couple more touchdowns probably for the Browns. Uh, when I look at you know, their PFF scores and things like that. And just what we've seen, the defense was supposed to be better starting with stopping the run. That has not at all been the case. Now, Delvin Tomlinson has a good PFF grade. Problem is he's only played 160 snaps. That's not what you expected when you signed him, I don't think, was to only play him about 30, 40 snaps a game. I mean, this is someone that you paid top dollar for to bring in and change your defensive line. Michael Pierce was hurt yesterday, so he's not at 100%. His performance so far by the grades has just been okay, and he's got 120 snaps. So the rest of the snaps are being made up by guys like Sheldon Richardson, who has been an F so far. Uh, just a, not at all what he looked like when he was here in 2018. Um, Steven Weatherly has only played 67 snaps. Armand Watts has struggled, especially against the run. DJ Wanham. I mean, let's talk about DJ Wanham, a guy who's been sold to us two years in a row as someone who's like a rising star. He has four pressures so far this year in 114 pass rush snaps. That's really producing absolutely nothing. Um, on the defensive side, I don't look at it and say, oh my gosh, what a calamity. Like they should just, you know, uh, push the defense into the Mississippi River. It's just a defense. It's just a bunch of guys who can have a good week or a bad week at any given time. And that's not going to be what drives winning for you at any point this season. I don't think on this defensive side, because of all the things I just named, there's too many holes in the defense for that to happen 
which makes me think you have to have those great offensive performances or this just isn't going to happen because if you can be beaten when the other quarterback averages four yards an attempt, I think you're just vulnerable in a lot of areas. Yeah, and that it, it should not have been a 14-7 to game yesterday. Like, the Browns should have won by at least a couple scores. It, it wasn't – I mean, the Vikings secondary wasn't terrible. Um, the, the pass rush was okay. Like, Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin looked good. Um, I thought Patrick Peterson played all right. Uh, Cameron Dantzler came in, uh, and we could talk more about him. He, I thought he played well. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of just wide-open receivers deep that Baker Mayfield just couldn't hit for whatever reason, whether it was just him being inaccurate or them not being on the same page. Or I don't know. They were, they were, and they had, they had a decent number of, of just kind of wide-open guys over the middle of the field, which was interesting when you have Harrison Smith and Xavier Woods back there. Um, but – yeah, I think you're right. The the defense has has been disappointing relative to kind of what it was talked up to be. Um, you know, we can we can sit here and say Michael Pierce got hurt. We still haven't seen Anthony Barr yet, which I do think will help the run defense if yes. he's even like eighty percent of Anthony Barr because Nick Vigil is a fine player. He can he can cover in space, but he's not as good of a run defender as Anthony Barr by any means. Um, and, and yeah, the the young depth just hasn't stepped up. I mean, DJ Wanham. I think is probably the most disappointing individual player just based on it's his second year. Okay, we, we like they were talking him up in training camp. Uh, and he's he's gotten badly outperformed by a like thirty four year old Everson Griffin who was signed off the street like a week before the season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see wh- where that goes if they kind of if some desperation starts setting in, they realize, all right, we can't be playing DJ Wanham ten more snaps than Everson Griffin like they did against the Browns because they just they Griffin just looks so much better. So, yeah, and the, the Armand Watts and Stephen Weatherly's of the world have, have had a rough rough time when they've been in there. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like you're right. It doesn't seem like a defense that you're going to be able to kind of rely on like those peak Zimmer defenses to win you games. And they just they need to be solid like they were yesterday. And then the offense needs to step up. But yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see see where that the defense goes from here. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you is, with these two units, offensive and defensive line, what can be done? I, let's just call it like run defense has specifically been the problem. But, you know, against Arizona, they gave up 400 yards passing. So it's not like the pass defense has been incredible or anything. It just, I think, was helped yesterday a lot by Baker Mayfield. And Cam Dantzler, give him credit, did play well. Um, you know, out there when he had to step in for Bashad Breland, and maybe he will get what he wishes, which is more opportunity. The fact that Breland is dead last by PFF grade after 100 uh, coverage snaps says to me it's fine if you play Cam Dantzler instead of Bashad Breland. At least Dantzler could potentially have a future with your team. Bashad Breland clearly doesn't, so it makes no difference to me if you're, you know, benching Breland to play uh, Cam Dantzler. But in terms of where these could go, or let's even say like where they need to go to win the next two games, because I look at these next two games as sort of one game. Mm-hmm. Like you have to go 100%, or this thing is off the rails. You have to go 2 and 0 in these next two games, or I don't see any way you come out of the bye at 2 and 4 and somehow work yourself into a playoff spot. I, especially when you look at the, I was just looking at the post bye schedule, and they start with like four straight teams that are 3 and 1 right now. Right. Like the Cowboys look great, the Ravens are. Their offense is great. The Packers, uh, I think the Rams. Uh, yeah, like you, you have San to be. Francisco. You, San Ra- Fr- Rams are a little later, but you have the Chargers. Mixed okay, the, char- the, yeah. Chargers, Chargers the Chargers. The Chargers who might be 3-1 and one pending their game on Monday Night Football. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you have to be three and three, and I, I, I don't think they should lose to the Lions, who are zero and four. But the Lions have been feisty, and then that Panthers game, I think, is just kind of where you determine. All right, is this team going to have any shot? Because that that's a game you just have to win. I think that in terms of uh, the left tackle position, we have to say just play Christian Dersaw. I mean, I know that he hasn't had a whole lot of ramp up time, that he missed training camp. And that's very hard to come off of an injury and just start to work your way into practice. He was active yesterday, played one snap on special teams. But when your left tackle is one of the lowest graded in the NFL, when he's giving up an average of four, five, six pressures a game, it can't be worse. It's that time to throw in Christian Derrissaw just the same way that they did with Brian O'Neill a few years ago. And they didn't feel that Brian O'Neill was ready if you recall. And he had some struggles. He certainly got, you know, slammed back into the quarterback a number of times in 2018, but it, it was better than this. And uh, I, I think that they like to slow play with rookies and be hesitant and sort of tiptoe with them until they really feel like they're ready. But in this case, I think you just have to play him as soon as he's healthy. Yeah, I agree. And I think the Lions present a, a good kind of opponent for that like oh yeah especially I mean you, you hate to see injuries but I believe Romeo Aquara their best pass rusher is out for the season yep um it, it's an interesting discussion because yeah Rashad Hill has these type of games tell you that a change is needed but as yeah you, you said it can't get worse and I, I always try to caution against that and I've I've been dumb for saying that in the past before when it has gotten worse uh you look at like the Pat Elfline to Drew Samia thing yeah, last, yeah. last year. Yeah. But um, if if they believe Derisaw is at least close to being ready, like physically, mentally, all of that, then yeah, I think he needs to be out there. It's just an interesting thing because he, he's coming off the injury. Like he didn't really do anything all offseason because he had this surgery and then it's something it wasn't recovering and he had to get another procedure done. Uh, and I don't think you want to put him out there before he's – if if he's not going to be ready and he's going to be like messing up the snap count and like sure. taking the wrong pass sets and and just um, kind of rushing him out there when it could be harmful to his overall I don't know confidence or development or whatever. But if he's even if you think he can even be competent, I think I think you have to do it and and this is a good week to do it. Like you, you your season is is already on the line, which uh, was the case last year. It's the case again this year. They just seem to have these slow starts folks minnesota football is back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for minnesota football tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k p-i-c-k is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need to go for nfl tickets tick pick got rid of all those awful service fees like the other ticket sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices of all of their nfl tickets don't believe it if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site tick pick will give you 110 percent of the difference on your purchase price We've got quite a slate of home games in downtown Minneapolis, including revenge game for Cleveland when they return to Minnesota and plenty more. Visit TickPick.com slash Insider today and use the promo code Insider to save $10 on your first order for Minnesota football tickets. 
Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage. Can't stop the Thielen hats and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate. Check it all out at sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Everything is screen printed here in Minnesota, and I can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now Soda Stick at this point. Again, that's SodaStick.com, Minnesota sports-inspired goods, and keep your eye out for our Soda Stick giveaways. So I'm looking at the true pass set grade for... Uh, Rashad Hill and that's that's when you take out the screens take mm-hmm. out the play actions things like that and do you remember Storm Norton do you remember him at all yeah uh, Storm coming Storm XFL Norton XFL legend or AAF I think yeah uh, I think he played yeah he may have played in both but he was a Vikings uh, camp and now body. he like actually plays for the Chargers correct this is where I'm going with okay. this so when Brian Bulaga got hurt Storm Norton was their backup and he was a practice squad body for the Vikings and then as you said an XFL player so he is second worst with a 13 pass blocking grade. That's out of 100 on true pass sets. Mm-hmm. Rashad Hill is below him. No, no. This is a person who the Vikings had as a camp body who they released, who sort of kicked around and ended up just as a fill-in person in case of emergency in Los Angeles. And he's doing slightly better than what Rashad Hill is doing right now. Um, and by the way, there, there are a lot of linemen in the league who have pass blocking grades that are good in terms of true pass sets. So that's not like everyone's bad. That to me says, in fact, Brian O'Neill is eighth. So there you go. Um, But that to me says, no, it really honestly can't get worse. If it's worse right now than what they would have gotten from Storm Norton, (laughs) then it can't be worse and it's time. Should they just elevate Blake Brandle from the practice squad? Like that, that probably couldn't even be. I mean, I know that this is coming off facing Miles Garrett. And those numbers weren't as bad last week. Of course, those numbers went way down. But it was sort of like it was sort of like when Tom Compton faced Aaron Donald in 2018, where he said, yeah, I mean, most people get beat, but you got beat every single play and you're really not competent at your job. And so this was always a possibility and they needed to sort of drag their feet and get through it until Christian Derrissaw could play. I think the time is now. I totally agree with you. Like, don't wait until you face Brian Burns because he's going to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that putting Darisa out there just it, it gives you it gives you a chance to just kind of see something different. And you, you've seen it with Rashad Hill. I mean, he it just hasn't been good enough. Um, the, the, I guess the other question would be, are, are you concerned about Ole Udo after this game or are we just going to chalk it up and say, okay, it was it was one kind of ugly game. I think he had a 0.0 pass oh blocking grade from PFF for this game. I was like, he had a zero pass blocking grade. Rashad Hill was 3.5. So We've seen it a few times Those are out here. of 100. We have seen it a few times here. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Bradbury. Dakota Dozier, yep, I believe. Dakota Dozier, yep. Uh, and I think Compton against uh, Donald, it was like a six. Yeah. Because um, I, I was encouraged by Ole Udo the first three weeks. I think he... He he held his own in in pass protection. I think he was like PFF's like number eight guard or something. Uh, he he was doing well in in run blocking. 
Um, so yeah. I, I blocking is still good. I yeah, I don't think there there should be any like rumblings about oh why Davis like it's, it's one game. Let's see how he does the next couple games. But it, it definitely was a reminder that okay, this is a former sixth round pick tackle converted to guard. He probably isn't going to be playing at a top ten guard level all year. But isn't there just lessons here? I mean, they draft Wyatt Davis, and everyone's like, oh, they're good, they're set. Got Wyatt Davis, you're good. And then they immediately realize they are not good. Uh, that is not going to work out, um, or at least for now, it's he's not ready. And so then they panicked and moved Ole Udo over to guard. Uh, okay, we've got to scramble, find somebody else. All right, well, that's fine because he has this really great athleticism and so forth. But they did the same thing with Ezra Cleveland last year, who is a more raw, talented player to be a second-round pick than Ole Udo. And he had his moments where he was good and his games where he was good. And then he had his moments where he got absolutely demolished. And that, by the way, continues to be the case with Ezra Cleveland yeah. as a guard who was, again, never tried to tackle when your left tackle is the worst in the NFL. Just mentioning that because it <laughs> remains an incredible mystery of why Ezra Cleveland was never tried at left tackle. Just saying that has to be brought up. But um, I think that the... The thing with Udo is you just where your standard has to be. Is he going to face one of the best defensive lines in the league and be fine as a guy who's never done this before? Probably not. No. Yeah. I would guess no. And so I guess I think that with, you know, the line in general is we always talk ourselves into, well, you know, if this guy does well and this guy does well and this guy does well, and that's that's right. But on a week to week to week to week basis over seventeen games, if there's a weakness there or two, it's just going to get exposed. And that's what we saw yesterday that we did not see against, like you said, Arizona and Seattle. Yeah, now, and, and one one big picture thing that I want to bring up is we talk about the offensive line and that's just a big conversation around the Vikings always, especially after a game like this. Um, but th- it seems to me like there's kind of two ways that they can improve, that they can avoid games like this happening. And, and number one, the easiest one is get a really good offensive line. And they've been trying to do that for a long time. And I, I think the optimists would say we're still kind of in the early stages of seeing like Brian O'Neill 2018, Bradbury 2019, Cleveland 2020, the two early draft picks this year. Like in theory, the timeline there, if they're going to pan out, sets up for maybe next year or, or 2023 being really good when you, but then you start talking about second contracts and stuff either way it's if you get a really good offensive line even against a team like the browns games like that where you just have no hope on offense of moving the ball other than the first drive which i still don't really understand how that happened uh those aren't gonna happen the other thing that you can do and this is the the big conversation always is get a quarterback that is better equipped to deal with that pressure and Kirk Cousins had been really, really, really good through three games. There's no denying that. Yesterday's game was not entirely on him, but there, there were moments where it seems like when he, when, when he gets in these games where he knows pressure is coming, he just gets a little skittish, and it gets in his head. And there was a play where K.J. Osborne was running wide open up the seam, and he looked over to him, and he had a moment where he could have let it rip, but he didn't because he maybe he was feeling the pressure, and he thought maybe – Somebody's going to strip sack me if I reach back and throw this. And they pulled it down and got sacked. Like, so if, if that is kind of one of the arguments for eventually looking past Kirk Cousins, who, again, has been really good this year. If you get a quarterback who can do more under pressure, and we always see the splits and PFF or whatever of Kirk Cousins when kept clean, 
is phenomenal. But under pressure yesterday, he was like two for 13 for 15 yards or something. I, I don't remember the exact stats, but it just it just wasn't happening. And so and you look at the guy like the Kyler Murrays and Justin Herbert and these young quarterbacks that can get out of the pocket and, and make plays when there's pressure in their face and just even maybe sometimes just have the confidence or the uh, whether it's misguided or not to just let it rip and not worry about the pressure. Like you kind of you're going to take sacks, but you can't have that get in your head and let that limit what you do on offense. So and, and yet it's fundamental. Yeah, right, right? it's not a thing that you can tweak or change or adjust or adapt. And many offensive coordinators have tried. But statistically, let me just back you up here. Kirk Cousins, 4.2 yards per attempt. That is the fifth worst in the NFL so far. The worst is Andy Dalton. Went under pressure. Uh, went under pressure. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. O- overall, of course, he's not averaging four yards an yeah. attempt. Uh, but uh, went under pressure. Now, here's the other thing that's notable is that he's only been under pressure 33% of the time, which is 15th in the league, which is not that bad. Uh, it, so the point that you're making is, look, you're going to get pressured in the NFL. It will happen. And... I think what we're seeing is sort of, like you said, like an emergence of this making a big difference. It was often in the past thought of as sort of a random thing. Some years you're good under pressure, some years you're not, sort of small sample. But now that we see more mobility in the quarterbacks, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Kyler Murray, it's Drew Stafford, not Drew Stafford, he's a hockey player, Matthew Stafford, um, it's Derek Carr who can move a little, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Like These are the guys who are succeeding, Russell Wilson. Justin Herbert, as you mentioned, those are guys are performing better under pressure. And that uh, I think I, I think if the league is even changing, like from year to year, the league just sorts of takes these shifts and we're seeing it make more of a difference every single week for something like that. And it's just an unsolvable issue. And that's why it sort of circles back to where we started was the frustration it, from fans and us as looking for solutions is, well, I don't really have one for that. I just don't. The only solution for that is to give him Cleveland's offensive line. And well, even I was just going to say that even with Cleveland's offensive line, like Baker Mayfield was under pressure. Yep, and he did not play well. Like you can seventh have, worst, by the way. He's you, seventh worst. You in can yards have per the time. best offensive line in the world. At some point, it, it still comes down to the quarterback's ability to make plays. And I wonder if Kevin Stefanski is getting quite frustrated with Baker Mayfield after that game yesterday, but that's a, that's another topic entirely. Right. And, and isn't that sort of the, the thing that when we discuss Kirk cousins and it is so often on social media, not nuanced at all. Um, but isn't that, isn't this the nuance? Like the nuance is that there's, there's an answer there. And when it comes to those final drives and things like that, he doesn't have an answer. He doesn't have a crazy arm. He couldn't get the ball to the end zone yesterday when he threw it. Like, they called it a Hail Mary from the 30-yard line. Was it a Hail Mary for Brett Favre? Like, no, it was not against San Francisco in 2009. That was a regular throw for Brett Favre. Is it a Hail Mary for Patrick Mahomes? Like, the arm strength is not that good. And the mobility, the athleticism, like, these things, those will get you out of situations remember Kyler Murray's Hail Mary from last year where he's rolling to his left and just throws it up because he escapes the pocket like 
that's one of the reasons I think that you don't win some of these close games at the end where you need final drives is there's no trump card that he has physically. And so that's why you look at him under a microscope as opposed to in the broad view of just his quarterback rating or his PFF grade. So, uh, you know, you're totally right about that. And that's what makes it hard to talk about. Hey, does the right guard like you think he's good or like, I don't know, does it matter? Um, and so let's just talk real quick about the run defense. And, and it, do you think that do you think there is a solution because they're playing a team that should be able to run a little and has a good offensive line, uh, does not have a great quarterback, does not have good weapons at all. Oh, my gosh. Um, but like Detroit, they can do some stuff like they're not completely incompetent. And I feel like if you don't fix that, that even a bad team can beat you. And I don't know exactly what the fix is because they were supposed to have fixed it. Yeah, I guess the fix is hope Anthony Barr gets healthy and, and Michael Pierce is healthy. Like, but even then, I don't know. You you should be getting more out of this this group that you had yesterday, even though the Browns are a really, really good uh, running offense with, with their two backs and their offensive line. Like, I thought, I thought Dalvin Tomlinson played well, but you've got Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin on the edges, and it seemed like they were, they were losing contain uh, in the run game a decent number of times. Eric Kendricks... Uh, PFF did not like his game. I, I mean, he, he made a lot of tackles as usual, but um, without having watched like the all twenty-two tape, I don't know if he was missing run fits or whatever. Nick Vigil just—he's—he's he's better than Eric Wilson for sure, which is a low bar, but it doesn't seem like he's um, doing really well in in the run defense. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I don't know if there's an easy fix other than just hoping you get some guys back not playing the Browns thinking it'll get a little better, but it, it wasn't great against like the Bengals either. Uh, it wasn't there. Chris Carson had like 80 yards yep. on like 12 carries for the Seahawks. Um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, Detroit with Jamal Williams, DeAndre Swift, like they can run the ball. That's kind of their path to probably hanging around in this game at us bank stadium. And, and we'll note that they hung around against the Ravens and they were leading the Packers at halftime. Like I don't, the Vikings, I think opened as well, like seven or eight point favorites, which um, doesn't seem like they've done much to deserve that. Yeah. Um, it's a game they should win, but I, I, I don't think anybody should come in expecting a, a blowout. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see, and, and that's going to be – if if the, the the trenches don't look much improved, if not, like, quite good against Detroit, I don't know. I don't know how you can really have too much optimism for some of the, the post-buy teams that they're going to play. So that's my last question for you is how do you think that this all plays out? Like what we've seen is the weaknesses that in camp we thought might be weak have pretty much been weak uh, after after four total W.E.E.K. weeks. Um, See the week and the uh, week. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah there you go. You, uh, but so I, I don't know that a lot of this changes, which is where you look at the schedule usually and say, well, you you kind of know who you are. So how's that match up? It doesn't match up great, in my opinion. Um, but how do you think this plays out? Like, do you think that they get to 500 and we sort of play this game the rest of the way where they win two, lose two? And at the end of the year, it's at nine and eight, eight, nine. Uh, do you think they go 2017 and get crazy hot after a win against Detroit? And then uh, they're taking it to the NFC championship. Or do you think that we're talking about Andre Patterson leading this team out of the tunnel against the Dallas Cowboys on uh, Sunday night football on uh, Halloween night? Man, if they go one and five, like I'm sure you'll talk about this in another podcast, but like Zimmer kind of has to be gone, right? You lose to the lions at home and, you go one in five, two straight years. Like, 
there's a, there's only so much patience you can preach, and you're one in five, and he's he's saying, oh, I we're we're still a good football team. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> if you're one in five, even if you're two and four, like, I, I think to answer your question, the safest bet is that this team is going to be stuck in the middle and is going to be eight and nine or nine and eight. Um, I, I could see any range of the spectrum still with 13 games to play. Um, I think it's not – things weren't as good as they looked after that Seahawks win when everyone was back to Rosie and, oh, this team's good. And I, I don't think they're as bad as they look right now because I do think the Browns are a really, really good team that yep. pose a tough matchup for them in a lot of ways. Um, I think this is desperation time. If, if I'm – it's I know it's not this simple, but I think there's some, some easy changes to make. Like Cameron Dantzler at cornerback over Bashad Breland – Everson Griffin needs to play more than DJ Wanham. You need to hope Anthony Barr and Michael Pierce are healthy. You probably need to put Christian Darius on at left tackle. And I think all those things combined could have an effect. Um, this is an offense that still is going to, I think, do have some really good games, especially mm-hmm. when Dalvin yep. Cook's ankle uh, gets gets back to uh, close to 100%. Uh, the receiver, like Justin Jefferson, was still awesome yesterday. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. He's really good. Adam Thielen was a little concerning. I didn't think he was getting open very much, but... That kind of that's a minor issue, if if an issue at all. Uh, I, I think the defense, the secondary ha- has shown s- some things recently. Um, Patrick Peterson has been been playing solid. Like there's still talent here, is is what I'm saying. Yep. And I I think there I think there's too talented to bottom out. And like if they lose to the Lions, we'll reevaluate. But I, I still see them winning eight or nine games, seven to, seven to nine games probably. Um, but I don't know that all the pieces are going to be able to come together in in, in order for them to really make a run and have a, a get to the playoffs and be a kind of contending team just because of this ceiling that we've talked about with the trenches right now. And the last thing I'll say is just that what whichever way it goes, like then we'll know. Yeah. Like if it goes to one and five, then we'll know they'll probably make a coaching change and something is going to be different. Uh, if they go eight and nine, then we'll know that no matter what you do with the current structure, that's where you're going to be. And if they go 13 and four, then we'll know that they're capable of turning around just about anything and that they were right. Uh, but after two weeks, it was more of believable. After three times it happens, it's, uh, you know, fool me twice, fool me a third time, whatever the saying goes. So that's how it kind of feels. Uh, will Raggetts, you do great work. You are in a phenomenal follow on Twitter. Which let me look up your Twitter ha- handle. What is it? It's uh, just at Will Raggetts. Oh, okay, R A G A T S A T Z. I'm sorry. A T Z. Yeah. Okay. So that again was Will R A G A T Z to follow you on Twitter. You great follow. So uh, I appreciate your time. Glad we could get back together, and this was fun. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me.